What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another wonderful episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. How's everybody doing tonight? Sean, it's getting awfully close to October, isn't it? It feels like Halloween is just around the corner. We're not quite there yet, but we're inviting everyone to come enjoy horror and celebrate horror on our road to Halloween as we get closer and closer to every horror fan's favorite month. Come enjoy some films with us and we're going to have a good time. Yeah, we do this year round, but right around this time, it starts to feel even more special, right? Yeah, you know, the leaves are falling, sky is getting gray, it's getting that comfy time of the year. So why not spend it with your brothers at Fraternity and get comfy, get under that blanket, and watch some horror and enjoy it with us. We'd love to have you. So Danny, what are we offering up today? Well, today, it's somewhat of a classic horror in a literal way, because nobody likes to go to the dentist, right? I don't. You don't. I'm sure the listeners don't, but unfortunately, that's our topic for today. So we're talking <laughs> about The Dentist from 1996. You're telling me it took until 1996 for someone to make a horror movie centered around a dentist? Yeah, it's uh, a little mind-boggling it took this long, but, you know, we're here and we're going to talk about it and uh, enjoy it. Yeah, and you know, I think that just speaks to the brilliance of Brian Usna. I discovered this movie in the year 2000 at a Suncoast in the mall. I can remember picking up this box and seeing, from the creators of Reanimator, hovering over the title. And the title sat above this image of a woman with her mouth open, fear in her eyes as a dentist operates on her. So this was a bit of a no-brainer for me. Plus, my favorite subgenre in horror is the slasher. And surely a movie titled The Dentist would indeed be a slasher film, right? And I guess it is. It's one of those... Arguably. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those slasher movies that is more like a thriller, but it gets goofy and violent enough to be classified as a slasher. There's quite a few slashers that exist in that bubble. I'm mainly thinking The Stepfather is a good example. <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of get reminded of The Stepfather here just because you, it's like you take the average portrait of an American man and kind of turn him into this twisted, devious version of that, you know, which is enjoyable in its own way. Oh, yeah. And I think it is a bit of a testament to the scope of the slasher genre. But more importantly, this is the first movie I saw where Brian Usna took his producer's hat off and took a seat in the director's chair. I'm a huge fan of Stuart Gordon's filmography, a lot of which was produced by Brian Usna. I'm a huge fan of Tix, The Giver. You know, his choice in projects definitely aligned with my tastes. 
So it should come as no surprise that once Yuzna started to direct films, he would wind up directing some of my all-time favorites. Society is a masterpiece. He made the second best entry in the Return of the Living Dead series with Part 3. Bride of and Beyond Reanimator, while not quite as good as the original, are still great fun. And I, for one, cannot deny my love for the dentist. So, let's not keep our patient waiting. <laughs> because, for me, the dentist was overdue for a checkup. And I'm guessing this is a new patient for you, Danny? Yeah, had uh, no idea this movie existed. But it's, you know, what can I say? It's unique, and I love a good, unique horror movie. And we'll just see my thoughts on The Dentist. Right on. Well, let's jump into it. But before that, just wanted to say, to keep up to date with everything Fraternity is doing, the number one place on the internet to do that is on Twitter. Our handle is at Fraternity. Go over to Twitter, type in Fraternity, and go give us a follow. Go like our tweets. We're tweeting every day. Retweet us anything you like. DM us if you want to. We'd love to talk with you. And if you have any questions, comments, anything at all, you can shoot them over to Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. You know, if you have any questions or just want to say hi, shoot them over there. Speaking of Twitter, Danny, I am currently participating in the 100 Movies in 92 Days Horror Challenge. It's a great hashtag going on over on Twitter right now. It's hashtag 100 Horror Movies in 92 Days. Shout out to its creator, Spooky Sarah Says, over on the Twitter. But if you follow me on Twitter, you can see that I'm posting what movies I'm watching daily and leaving many reviews and it's a lot of fun. And go follow the hashtag because a lot of people are partaking in this. And it's great to see what everybody's watching. If you're like me, you'd rather watch Sleepaway Camp 2 for the 100,000th time <laughs> than watch something you haven't seen before. And the two major rules of this challenge are the movie has to be new to you and it has to be horror. So I'm getting a great opportunity to see what will become future episodes of the show right now. So check it out, participate so you can expand your horror world and see things you may have overlooked. And I'm also exclusively using Shudder. So I've been leaving my mini reviews on Shudder too. So if there's something on Shudder you're not sure you want to check out, Go search out our review. See if it's on the bottom of a movie you're looking at. Our name over there is Fraternity Pod, and you can see if that movie is fraternity approved or not. And if you know me, it probably is. Right on. With that said, Danny, before we do get into the dentist, I thought we could share our own dental horror stories. And I recall you coming home from a tooth extraction in pretty brutal shape one time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got all four of my wisdom teeth taken out in one operation. And, you know, they put me under and, you know, I come out of it and I'm totally drowsy. I can't even walk on my own two feet. 
and they have to wheel me out to my mom's car. And so she's driving me home and I'm just loopy, drooling on myself, bleeding from my gums. And we get home. I get out the car and, you know, I still can't walk. I'm this fucked up. Let me just paint a picture for my tolerance for drugs and alcohol. It's very low and it still is low to this day. (laughs) (laughs) So I was positively fucked up getting out of the car (laughs) and luckily my big brother Sean who I love so much is home and he comes out and you know he's kind of I've got my arm around him and he's taking me inside but before I can get inside I do vomit (laughs) in our driveway and it's just blood because I was unfortunately you know, the, the cotton balls in my mouth weren't doing the trick and I was, you know, swallowing, swallowing a lot of blood, <laughs> which is not good, of course. So I vomit and I go and lay on the couch and I'm just out of it. And our mom is on the way to go to the drugstore to pick up the prescription for my pain meds, you know, because I'm positively fucked up <laughs> and in pain. <laughs> the drugs I was on when I was under are starting to wear off and now the pain in the back of my mouth is starting to pulsate and hurt. And I'll never forget, you know, just laying on the couch and Sean, I don't know if you want the people to know this, but you have a uh, affinity for trashy daytime TV, (laughs) including Maury and Jerry Springer. And I'm pretty sure it was Jerry Springer on the television that I was just hearing in the background while I'm on the couch, uh, dying and in so much pain (laughs) (laughs) and long story short there was some trouble they couldn't get the medication they didn't have it at the pharmacy but eventually they did get it and i got my medication and uh that night i ate ice cream and jello and anything soft i could eat and watched the karate kid remake with jaden smith and that movie was shit so that's my review of jaden smith karate kid uh don't check it out Maury retired Danny, and the world is a little more dull for it, all right? (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) So, Sean, what about your horrific uh, dentist story? Do you got one? Before I share mine, I just remembered when you were really young and you were still losing baby teeth, I remember you had one (laughs) that was ready to go, but it just would not relent and i was like okay come here danny and pulled it out of your mouth (laughs) you remember that (laughs) no not really i remember that i hated losing my teeth like like i was such a fucking anxious kid and just like you know the build-up in your head is like oh god it's gonna hurt i don't want to do it yada yada so you know i appreciate that you just yanked it out and you know saved me some trouble there (laughs) It was ready to go, and you took it like a champ, and I have to say, as a big brother, being able to pull a baby tooth out of his brother's head (laughs) is a moment of pride. (laughs) Totally. Unlike you, Danny, I never had my wisdom teeth removed, and a little over a year ago, I started to experience some really bad pain. It 
really became unbearable. Every tooth in my mouth was just so sensitive and aching. So I caved and I went to the dentist to see about getting my wisdom teeth removed. So I'm there. They x-ray me. And I'm hoping, like, if we can just pull one, that's fine. Let's just do that, <laughs> you know? But to my surprise, I get the worst news one could possibly get in this scenario. It turned out that I had extra wisdom teeth. A whole <laughs> oh, set. Man. That's right. Eight wisdom teeth in my mouth. Four exposed and four still under the surface. What kind of luck is that? Very bad luck because I think eight is like one to two out of a hundred people. So that's pretty rare. So I go to an oral surgeon and it does turn out that four of my wisdom teeth are out and they're in use. But the extra set that's impacted has to go. Now. I'm a person who can suffer from pretty bad anxiety. I don't like being in situations where I lose control. So my biggest fear beyond getting my teeth extracted was being put under. So I'm at my appointment. They've got me hooked up to the nitrous or whatever it is. And as the assistants are trying to make small talk and comfort me, of course the conversation turns to horror because that's my thing, obviously, and I had a horror movie t-shirt on. <laughs> so these ladies start talking horror and telling me how they love Nightmare on Elm Street and all this shit. But not only am I anxious, but now I'm kind of loaded. And the conversation starts freaking me out. Like, I can literally see Freddy in his nurse gown <laughs> turning around to face me like, I want to draw some blood. <laughs> and I don't want to be like, Hey, could we, like, shut the fuck up with the horror talk, please? <laughs> but in my mind, that's where I was. And so they're going to put me under with IV sedation. But my body winds up rejecting it due to the anxiety. So I wound up going through the operation conscious. But I <laughs> guess that's what I wanted, right? I do vividly <laughs> remember the whole experience. Oh, my God. And for the most part... I was drugged up and numb enough not to be bothered, but one of the teeth was completely impacted sideways and stuck in my jawbone, and that was fucking brutal, dude. <laughs> like, that was the one time I displayed noticeable distress, but the assistants who scared the shit out of me with all the horror talk really had my back in the end, you know, and they did a good job of comforting me and helping me through it all. But... That's my dental horror story. <laughs> my face was numb. Even when we started this podcast last August, it took a long time for the numbness to go away. But jeez, here we are. And now let's talk about the dentist. <laughs> well, at least you had no thoughts of the dentist while you were going under. At least I hope. <laughs> I purposely avoided this movie <laughs> for a long time around that appointment. <laughs> They're decaying. <laughs> oh. You know, I love how this movie offers up no false pretenses. 
Because the movie is called The Dentist, and it's located in the horror section. And it's smart enough to know that we know why we're here. <laughs> right. It opens with Dr. Alan Finestone in a padded cell. It's not explicitly identified as such, but the fact that he's setting up imaginary dentistry equipment is a pretty strong indication. And then he's speaking directly to his imaginary patient, or us rather, and he begins to tell his story. He had a wife, a perfect home, a beautiful life together. And we see Alan getting ready in the morning. And he comes across as quite the douchey asshole piece of shit. And I say that because instead of getting too involved in this intro, can we talk about the magic trick that Corbin Burnson pulls with this? It's great acting. He actually makes us like him or maybe enjoy the character is a better way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, at the very least, he's fun to watch, and he definitely is unlikable, and you know, whatever's in his future is not good, but yeah, he does such a good job of uh, just coming off as enjoyable. He's definitely the strong point for me in this film. Agreed. He flips out about that tiny stain on his shirt, and throws a fit over cufflinks not matching his outfit, but I think part of why we can relate to this character is because we can all relate to or imagine the sting of betrayal. Alan had noticed his wife talking to the pool guy in her bathrobe, and when they embrace for a bit, as we learn it's their anniversary, he notices she isn't wearing anything underneath, but we the viewer notice the grease from the fingers of the pool guy on her skin. And as Alan leaves for work, after giving the pool guy a hard time about fixing the filter, he notices grease on his fingers and starts to put things together. He returns home, only to spy his wife blowing the pool guy out back. He watches through the blinds, and you know, I always found it strange that she was blowing the pool guy, rather than fucking the pool guy. <laughs> Sean, this is a movie about a dentist. Everything has to be orally uh, related. <laughs> yeah, that's what I realized. And I got to say, I applaud their commitment to the theme here. <laughs> <laughs> Alan goes to his desk and retrieves a gun before confronting his wife and the pool guy, forcing her head down on the meat and sticking his gun in the pool guy's face. So, Brooke is choking on a hot dog while Alan goes <laughs> ballistic. And again, I have to say, I'm not trying to say the acting in this movie is bad because it's really not. But all I'm saying is the level of psychotic rage that Corbin Burnson exhibits <laughs> in this scene is more than this film and most films, for that matter, deserve. Like, he literally froths at the mouth, Danny. <laughs> yeah. He's got that, yeah, that frothy white saliva spitting everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's just, uh, you know, we know he's having a psychotic break, but I find it's, like, sometimes hard to take the character seriously because it's, like, 
is this a psychotic break or was he just this fucking manic before? You know, <laughs> there's like no clear picture sometimes. <laughs> right. There's some vague references to pills that he's taking, but that's never explored at all. Yeah, it's all a little very left on the table where if I had a little bit more to uh the backstory i feel like i would care more but yeah i mean you get a great blow up so you can't complain that much <laughs> yeah he puts the gun in the poor guy's mouth and pulls the trigger and that gunshot brings us back to reality where alan is still standing there in his house just broken and then he leaves and after that we briefly meet some of the characters at the dentist's office as this receptionist and the assistants wonder where he is. We then find Alan sitting in his car, waiting for the pool guy to leave. And he follows him to the neighbor's house and tails him up the driveway with gun in hand, seemingly intent on killing this man. But he winds up getting spotted by his neighbor and his wife's friend Paula. And all I'm going to say is, if the 90s were a disease, she's got a bad case of it. <laughs> And like you said, Danny, this is a movie about a dentist. So, of course, we have to take a look at the filling in her mouth as she yawns. <laughs> hey, th this movie has a lot of up-close mouth shots. I gotta say, they sell them pretty damn well. <laughs> <laughs> the good doctor winds up getting out of that situation, and he makes his way to the backyard. but. A wrench gets thrown in his plan because it's Paula's turn to fuck the pool guy now. Finestone just can't get a win here, Danny. He even gets attacked by Paula's dog through the gate, which he foolishly kicks open. And the dog pounces on him. And he finally gets to use that gun by shooting the poor dog. And we talk a lot about coincidences on Fraternity. And this is the third movie in a row we've done that has featured violence towards dogs. <laughs> Four, if you want to include the fact that those kids ripped the dog leg off and in the mouth of madness. Yeah. And I really don't think it's that common of a trope, but this is getting a little out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people don't want to see dogs die in films. They even have that website, Does the Dog Die? And it'll tell you if a dog is in a film. And if it is, is it de dead or not? Because some people just don't want to see that poor puppy laying on the ground in blood but in the dentist that's exactly what you get either way alan manages to sneak into his office and it's quite evident that his sanity is in free fall he's unstable to say the least but it's time for little jody's first visit to the dentist danny and they've got to get a move on because he has jimboree at 10 30 before this little kid gets scarred for life, we again meet Candy, the receptionist, who's just so cheerful it makes you want to vomit. We also meet a teenage girl named Sarah, who is super eager to get her braces removed. We've both been there, right? Yes, we have. Very relatable. And for all intents and purposes, she is our final girl of sorts. For me, though... I find the in-office slasher elements to be very secondary to the infidelity revenge plot. 
The slasher plot is more a byproduct of Alan's waning grasp on reality. I think both parts play really well off of each other. Like, if you have just the slasher elements, then it would be schlock. But if you stripped them out and just gave us the infidelity revenge plot, it'd be a whole lot less fun. Yeah, there's at least a plot-specific reason why, you know, he's losing his mind in his own office and practice and causing all this trouble and drama. But I feel like the office scenes tend to drag on for me, and a lot of them don't fully win me over, at least definitely in this first day. In the first half of the movie, I was like, are we going to like spend the whole day here? Because like, <laughs> I was getting kind of tired, you know? <laughs> Did you appreciate how the movie spruces things up visually by making Alan a practitioner of interactive dentistry with all the themed rooms, at least? Oh, yeah, I love the themed rooms and how he's trying to make dental work fun, you know, and all the rooms are creative. You know, you have a jungle one. You have the one that's supposed to be heaven. You're staring at clouds and angels. And then we get that <laughs> wonderful reveal of the opera room later, his uh, crowning achievement. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, the characterization of Alan is definitely there for sure. With, at least with when it comes to his practice in dental work. I took another look at this movie today, and with how awesome the uh, operating rooms look, they could really spruce up that lobby. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, I'm not a child, but I want a tooth stool. <laughs> <laughs> it looks form-fitting, you know? Perfect for your butt. <laughs> a little molar to sit on. <laughs> So little Jody finds himself in the tropical rainforest room. And we can see that he's getting more nervous by the second. As was I <laughs> watching this shit. <laughs> you know, because you know what's coming and you're just, it makes you cringe. Well, like I said, the super tight shots of the mouth with whatever you call that tool that's poking around on your teeth. And you, yeah, you just, it's, it's nerve wracking. You know, something violent is going on and it's so simple too. It's not like a kill or a death or even that serious injury wise, but when it happens, you know, you kind of jump and you're like, Oh man. Yeah. The sound alone. Oh, the, of the, that sickle the, probe in Jody's mouth. <laughs> the, the tapping on the teeth, man. It, it it's unnerving. <laughs> yeah, and it's not long before the doctor has a psychotic break and we see Jody now has this mouthful of rotten teeth. And then before you know it, that sickle probe penetrates Jody's gums and causes blood to squirt out. <laughs> While he's wearing a lay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's safe to assume that Jody's not going to be making it to Jimboree today. <laughs> After the mishap, Alan retreats to his office. He swallows some pills and calls Brooke. And they have this really weird conversation. They had discussed plans for going out to eat for their anniversary. And Alan tells her he's going to be running late, so she's going to have to meet him at the office. But before that, it's time for patient number two. 
there's this model named April Rains, and she's in the heaven room while her manager, played by a very young Mark Ruffalo, in the one of Hulk his earliest himself. roles. Yeah. I was shocked because before seeing the Avengers, I could not remember seeing Mark Ruffalo in much of anything at all. And then I was like, holy <laughs> shit, he was the dude in the dentist. <laughs> That's what's important to me. <laughs> I think this is a new segment uh, called Movies the Actors Don't Want on Their Resume. <laughs> <laughs> so Finestone insists on taking care of this cavity and he uses nitrous oxide on April Rain's dumb name. <laughs> but before things proceed, we cut to two detectives investigating the murdered dog at Paula's house. And the lead detective is played by the great genre legend, Ken Forey. Most everyone listening here knows Ken Forey for obviously his role in Dawn of the Dead. But me, you know, I knew him first as the dad in Keenan and Kel. So. Hell yeah. <laughs> I was always very happy with that. I didn't watch Keenan and Kel. It was, it was a little after my era <laughs> of Nickelodeon. Right. But if I would catch it on TV, I remember seeing Ken Forey on it and I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. You go, dude. You know, right? Like you landed this uh, primetime role. Hell yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, good old Bruce Banner himself is getting <laughs> a little pervy with Sarah asking this young girl to perform a runway walk in the waiting room. But back in heaven. April Rains gets a handful of fine stones, shall we say? <laughs> she warns him that if he doesn't hurt her, she won't hurt him. And of course, this breaks what's left of Alan's grip on reality. And he cranks up that nitrous. And then we see Alan put his finger in her mouth as she instinctively suckles on it for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's up with the nitrous, but it's like, it has this aphrodisiac effect <laughs> with the women. <laughs> he stands up over April and looks down on this operating chair when all of a sudden we see he's looking at Brooke with her bathrobe wide open. And he climbs on top of her, embraces her, but it isn't long before he decides to strangle her with his bare hands. But in the middle of that, he decides that death would be too good for her, and he stops. And as he comes back to reality, he realizes he has his hands around April's throat, and the nitrous has run out, and she's in the process of coming around. Her blouse has been opened up a bit, and her pantyhose have been pulled down. It's not a good look for the doctor. <laughs> So he has no choice but to remove them completely as she frets to get out of the chair and find Steve. And as she exits the room, Steve finds the two of them. And Alan informs him that she's just having a bad reaction to the nitrous. And he convinces him it would be best to take her outside for a breath of fresh air. After foolishly inviting them back in the operating room with the pantyhose sitting there in plain sight. And in all this chaos, as Alan walks the two of them out, 
one of the assistants, Jessica, ends up finding those pantyhose. And she tells the other assistant, Karen, about it. But the two decide to keep it between themselves. And if things couldn't get worse for our dear dentist, the IRS agent who has been bugging him arrives demanding to be looked at. But before Alan can get to that, Steve enters the building and delivers a fist to Finestone's face, calling him a sick degenerate pervert and saying they're going to sue his ass for what he did to April. Hulk so- smash! <laughs> Puny dentist. <laughs> this scene, I, I don't know how to feel about it, honestly. Because it's like, I know Alan is having this psychotic break, but we've only really seen like him become violent. And then all of a sudden, it's like turning sexual all of a sudden. It's just weird. I don't know if it like aligns with the character, but I guess we we get the pantyhose on the ground becoming a somewhat of a MacGuffin for later. <laughs> but I don't know this scene. Like, and it, I don't think it's like entertaining either. <laughs> How do you feel about it, Danny? I love this movie, <laughs> <laughs> so of course I enjoy this, and I also enjoy Kerbin Burnson's stunt fall here, like. <laughs> it happens in three parts. Like you get the sock to the face and the face turn, and then he falls to a knee while banging his head across the receptionist's <laughs> shoulder, and then he face plants in the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many times they had to do that because there's quite a few different shots in all there too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Alan asks all the patients to leave and closes up for the day. And you know what, Danny? Not all is lost for Alan because he still has plans for his anniversary, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah, planning something very special for tonight. Brooke arrives at the office after sundown and she looks around for Alan. And she notices opera music coming from one of the rooms and heads over there. It's Alan's latest creation, Danny, that opera room you were talking about. Operatory number four. (laughs) (laughs) Which he waxes poetically about to an impatient and annoyed Brooke. I love the way this scene is shot where it's not quite from Alan's point of view, but he's just slightly off camera. It's almost like they're hiding him from us because he's about to make his first true appearance as the titular dentist. But I thought they gave us a nice build here. What did you think? Yeah, this scene is great. Uh, you, you know, you have that opera music in the background, totally uh, making the scene, and it's just Brooke slowly making her way over to sit down when Alan finally strikes and starts strangling her and ties her into the chair. And then this teeth-pulling man, it's uh, <laughs> some more... Oral horror, <laughs> if I if we're gonna call it that. <laughs> yeah, the teeth pulling is savage. Just it's just brutal, man. And the movie actually shows us quite a bit of mercy, if you ask me, because they only show us one full extraction. But the way they film the second one using Corbin Burnson's acting to sell the brutality is equally morbid. You know what, though? We've talked a lot about Corbin Burnson, but I think we should also give it up to Linda Hoffman as Brooke because she puts a lot into this. 
I think she does a great job. She goes from unlikable to sympathetic. She has to play the cheating housewife, and she does that well. And then she does a great job as the victim once that becomes her main job. But she also appears in all of the hallucination sequences, and there's some really good ones. And we even get some fantastic stingers with her a bit later. So she was given a lot of different things to do, and I think she does a great job. Yeah, totally. She does a great job at every scene that she's in. And yeah, she totally is integral to the plot and everything going on. So awesome work. To my surprise, she also returned in the sequel with Corbin Burnson. She isn't given nearly as much to do in that movie. And that movie, uh, (laughs) I'm not sure who asked for a second dentist movie, but I hope they're happy. Yeah, it's like a second stepfather movie. (laughs) Who asked for that? (laughs) It's more like Stepfather (laughs) 3. Later on, we see Alan at home in his bedroom, looking down at the pool he never uses, while we see Brooke laying in bed in obvious distress, her swollen lips and mangled mouth obscured by shadows. And the next day... Matt, the pool guy, arrives to replace that pool filter. And we see that Brooke has been dressed in her bikini and tied to a lawn chair with a sun hat placed over her face. But she's just about too weak to struggle. We see Alan watching from inside. But he gets interrupted when the detectives arrive to ask him a few questions. And boy, does Alan act suspicious as hell as he attempts to hurry these guys out of there. Back outside, though, the pool guy, Matt, is fishing leaves out of the pool when we notice a tongue floating in the water. And on his next pass, he scoops it out and becomes shocked upon noticing it himself. So he walks over to Brooke, calling her name out, and he pulls the hat away from her face, revealing the aftermath in its full glory. So what are your thoughts on the look of Brooke here. Oh, it's an unfortunate face. It's, uh... (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great makeup, and it's... It just... It's one of those makeup jobs that is just tough to look at. You know what I mean? Just the gums and the bloody mouth and the swollen face. It's, uh, horrific. Hey, that body is still summer-ready, though. (laughs) Yeah, you almost feel bad. Well, you do feel bad, especially <laughs> <Almost>. when <laughs> especially when Matt steps back in shock and horror. And we can see despite the pain, Brooke is desperately attempting to warn him. But next thing you know, Alan has snuck up behind him and placed a knife across his neck. Matt attempts to get away from the dentist, but his neck gets cut. And this next bit definitely puts the slash in slasher as this pool guy backs away from Alan as Alan slashes away at him and blood just splatters everywhere with each slash. Some of the best blood spray effects I've ever seen, Danny. That goes (laughs) for anything that came before or after. Like, I just think the blood effects in this scene are incredible. This kill is really well done. Especially with the blood. Yeah, you just get the that perfect splatter after every slice. 
And it's like, man, how did they do that? How did they just get it so right? Yeah, it's such a wonderful magic trick of special effects because I look at it and I go, how the fuck did they do that? And why does it look so good? You know, yeah. and you know, it's probably something really simple, which makes it all the more impressive. I also like the touch of having Alan say the same lines that he did in his imagination. Because it doesn't equal the frothy mouth psychobabble performance from before. <laughs> but that's the genius of it, right? Because nothing we say in our heads ever comes out the same when it's back in reality, right? I mean, totally. we're podcasters. We can attest to this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I sound stupid every time I'm on the mic, but I guess people like it. I don't know. We're getting views <laughs> or listens. <laughs> Are we? <laughs> I, hope, I sure hope so. So, Danny, Alan Feinstone, the dentist, has got his revenge. The pool guy is dead. Brooke is suffering and deformed. So what is a psychodentist to do? Go to work, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and his first patient for the day is his neighbor, Paula. And we get a nasty bit where we have to watch Alan stick a needle in Paula's gum to numb her tooth. I know you said needles don't bother you, but did this? No, this didn't bother me, but this uh, destruction of her tooth with the Dremel, I think, is... Uh... That that's the tough one to watch. <laughs> yeah, like what the hell did did they use a real tooth for that? Like, <laughs> what the it's hell just, is it's going just on? It's just crumbling like a rock, you know, like a like a rock with a jackhammer. It's just nasty, and it's just like <laughs> just like minuscule like tooth dust everywhere in her mouth. Yeah, and then the assistant Jessica manages to get Alan to stop and. She goes to question him outside the room before Jessica goes and tells Paula to just leave. And I'm like, there's still like what used to be a tooth in there. And when she's not numb anymore, I think she's going to really feel like <laughs> shit. Yeah, I thought he was going to do more to her. I guess he was. And Jessica was like, you need to go. <laughs> she got she definitely got off easy here. Yeah, if that's what you want to call easy. <laughs> At least you're just still alive. You can go to a different dentist, tell them to give you a new tooth or something. <laughs> yeah, when Alan finds out that Paula's gone, he flips out on Jessica and fires her. But she confronts him about the pantyhose. And it is not long before he's sent into a homicidal rage and strangling Jessica with said pantyhose. At sorry. The same sorry, Jessica, you just weren't cut out for the film. <laughs> Had to get rid of you. <laughs> you are not our final girl. <laughs> At the same time, the detectives find out that Finestone not only lied about owning a firearm, but has one that would use the bullet type found at the scene of the crime. We then go back to the office where Sarah, our little final girl-to-be, is back for day number two of hoping to finally get rid of those braces. And just as she's called back, the pesky IRS agent arrives and sends her to the back of the line once again. Now, did this IRS agent pick the worst day to extort the wrong guy or what? 
Well, he is an IRS agent, so <laughs> hard yeah. to feel bad. <laughs> and, you know, we haven't got enough of this character to get any type of read on him. But boy, does he go from zero to 100 in the sleazy scumbag <laughs> department in a fucking hurry. It's almost like they told him to channel Bill Murray in Little Shop of Horrors, but instead of being funny, just be a total fucking prick. <laughs> yeah, he really does go all the way douchebag in a matter of minutes. <laughs> I was hoping to get some of the goof. <laughs> yes, boss. Like, I just don't get it like it's not funny <laughs> it's annoying and <laughs> you really start to side with alan in this one instance yeah that's a bad sign when you're uh, siding with the killer <laughs> i thought you came out <laughs> <laughs> you know not only that but at this point in the movie not even the good people are safe, right? So we know this guy is screwed. <laughs> he's definitely about to experience a trip to the dentist that he's never going to forget. And that's a bit of a spoiler alert. He's not going to die, but I think he's going to wish he did. And I'm not sure what you call this thing he uses on this guy, but he uses it to stretch his mouth open to an inhuman degree. All the while, this guy is screaming bloody murder. But everyone in the office writes it off. They're like, oh, it's normal to have a screamer or two at any dentist's office. Yeah, I love that it's just like perceived as normal. Like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> then Alan uses one of those little drills to fuck up this guy's mouth. And the guy is fighting it off with his tongue. But Alan's just cutting into his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> the... Only assistant left, Karen, knocks on the door to check if everything is all right. And Alan tells her everything's fine. But he also tells her he sent Jessica home when she asks about it. We then briefly cut back to Alan's residence. And the detectives notice blood and go around back to find Matt's dead body. And they also discover Brooke tied up in the bedroom. So things are starting to move a bit quicker here. Karen, finally growing suspicious, discovers Jessica's purse. And she goes to confront Alan about it and walks in on this horrifying scene of the IRS agent going through what can be best described as torture. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for Karen, she's seen too much. And this means it's the end of the road for her. And is Alan getting efficient at murder or what? Because he takes Karen out with an air bubble injection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the most uh, exciting kill, but definitely the most efficient. I do like this actress's performance, though, especially when he smashes her face against the wall and she just gets knocked silly. Out in the lobby, the receptionist Candy goes to lunch, but she sends Sarah back. And she's the last patient standing, so to speak. We see Dr. Finestone remove Sarah's braces. And all seems right for a moment. But just like Alan has come to realize, nothing good ever lasts. Decay is persistent and unavoidable. So why try to fight it? And with that, he attacks Sarah. And we get our slasher chase sequence through the office. 
it's a good bit of cat and mouse through the office with cameos by Jessica's corpse and the still breathing but completely mangled IRS agent accompanied by Karen's dead body. Any thoughts? Well, I just love that they uh, decided to make Sarah wear the skimpiest little schoolgirl skirt with the sheer thigh-high white socks <laughs> while she's running around, you know, just to get a little uh, butt slip or two. <laughs> Where previously at the office, she was wearing uh, some very plain Jane clothes. <laughs> yeah. Alan eventually corners Sarah and he has his gun in hand. She pleads with him to not kill her before telling him that she'll brush her teeth three times a day and never eat a piece of candy. And we're left to wonder if she managed to get through to the unhinged doctor. But we cut to the lobby and see police officers entering. And they do end up rescuing Sarah as we see Alan driving away in his car. And I have to be honest, I hadn't seen this movie in about 15 years and completely forgot about everything after this. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't blame you for forgetting about it because it feels so random to me. And I don't really know why it even happens. You know, like, why wasn't the finale at the dentist's office? Like, why did he end up going to this campus? You know, I, I get he dies and he succumbs to the opera singer, but uh, I don't know. It's just like totally falls flat for me <laughs> in this finale. Well, I think the problem was is, again, you have like two kind of stories here. You have the slasher and you have the revenge story, right? So, right. like, yeah, the slasher one ends in the office, but we still have to kind of wrap up the real narrative. And so, yeah, it gets a little disjointed here. Uh, again, I legit thought the film ended in the office and I was surprised when it kept going. I don't mind it. Uh, I think it works in the sense of the revenge plot, but I have to know how you felt when he was like in Sarah's face, like three times a day, no candy. And he even <laughs> cried for this bit. Danny. Yeah. I think that bit is great. And yeah, you have that brief moment where it's like, did she finally reach him, you know, and like find the little glimmer of humanity left in Alan. <laughs> and yeah, that's a great moment to see. But after that, when he's running away, I just think it, uh, I think it just feels, a, it just flattens everything for me. And I'm just like, all right, like, let's go wrap it up. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's wrap it up. But I will add, you know, they even do mention like he has a seminar earlier in the movie, but it's such a throwaway line that I'm sure plenty of people could have missed it, you know? Yeah, sure. There's a reason, but it it still just feels out of nowhere, even if it makes sense plot wise. And just I don't think the cop chase is particularly exciting either. And in some ways, the cop plot line, they just kind of get everything handed to them and it's not very exciting. <laughs> right on. Well, there are some things I like, including probably my favorite line in the movie. But yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this up. We get this great bit, though, before we go to the school with 
Candy, the receptionist sobbing while speaking so lovingly of Alan before <laughs> Sarah tells her to shut the fuck up since the man is clearly psychotic. <laughs> right. And that's where Candy lets out that Finestone is a teacher. And with no leads or whereabouts, the detectives decide to bark up that tree. And that is indeed where we find Alan going nuts on his students and demanding that they all extract teeth from their patients' mouths. And I love the guy who tries to sit up and he's like, I want a second opinion. And that's my favorite line delivery in the movie. <laughs> but Alan just snaps here, draws his gun in the class, and he's just screaming like, extract! <laughs> and I don't know what this effect is that they use periodically through the film, but it's like a funhouse mirror effect that distorts yeah, the image. Right. Well, we get... A ton of that right here <laughs> with Alan seeing apparitions of Karen and Jessica. And while he's distracted by the hallucinations, this young man attempts to disarm him. But the guy fails. And when Alan looks, he sees none other than the bloody apparition of Matt, the pool guy pleading. And Alan shoots at him and we see he shot this kid in the arm in the process. And just then the detectives arrive with backup. And they confront Alan, who grabs a human shield and uses her to escape out a door on the other side of the room. He runs for it before coming across a door that leads to the side of a stage in an auditorium. And as he enters, he's lured further inside by the sound of opera singing. He reaches out to touch this opera singer, who turns around to reveal herself as Toothless Brooke. And Alan falls to his knees in tears and in shock. We see the detectives approaching as the opera singer backs away in fear. And Alan just remains seated, defeated as the realization sets in that despite his revenge, his wife is still living rent-free in his head. And with that, Alan informs us that that's the end of his tale. We're back in his padded cell. He wraps up his fake dentistry before the doors open and two orderlies inform him that it's time for his checkup. He backs himself against the wall, irate and refusing, but they put him in a straitjacket and drag him to his appointment. Strapped in the dentist chair, the dentist turns around and once again, it's none other than Brooke. She gives this nice, toothless smile before going in on Finestone with a drill. And we look upon this scene through an opening with bars across it as Alan screams. And that's the end of our movie. So give it to me, Danny. Your final thoughts on The Dentist. Well, Sean, you might be disappointed, but I'm not the biggest fan of this film. It has a lot of good moments and some pretty good gore and good performances like we were talking endlessly about Corbin Bernson, but it just feels like tonally all over the place and sometimes it's comedic and other times it wants to take itself seriously and I can see why someone would be into that and I'm not saying that that necessarily is a bad thing. But just in this movie, it doesn't really work for me. Everything ends up having this like cheap tone to it that uh, 
I don't know, is just not my thing. But it has good moments, and it's definitely worth a watch. I think I'm uh, probably an odd one out. I can see a lot of diehard horror fans really uh, enjoying this film. So check it out. You know, don't listen to me. What do I know? (laughs) Right on, man. I respect your opinion. That's why we do the show. I think this is one of your first dislikes, right? There's not many, you know, and like, you know, the films I do initially dislike on the show, like I end up thinking fondly about, you know, like if we were to do Motel Hell now, I think I would be more positive when talking about it. So who knows, you know, my opinions on things always change. Uh, I'm not shy about that, you know, because uh, you should never write your opinions in stone, you know, always be open. You know, you never know when something's just going to click. Well, feel free to write your opinions on our Twitter because we want to know what side of the fence you sit on. Do you love the dentist or do you hate the dentist? Hate's a strong word, but I can see a lot of people going either way, to be honest. So well said. I definitely can see your points, but I'm just a big lover of Yuzna and you'll see as we progress through his filmography this movie isn't the best but it kind of encapsulates the odd tone his movies usually have <laughs> yeah that that's what i mean the odd tone and maybe maybe we'll learn that brian uses this stuff is just not for me who knows <laughs> but we'll figure it out and you'll be here with me together all right man Did you find a favorite kill in The Dentist? Well, my favorite kill, it's got to be when Alan is slicing up that pool guy. We already talked about the great blood splatter, but I really just love that over-the-top shot where you just see Alan making his way and slicing the pool guy, and it's just such a unique shot for a kill and yeah it really accentuates the blood splatter in it and i just think it's really interesting to look at and it's one of the few kills in the film where it really sold it for me and i was like man that was solid solid slasher murder on on film (laughs) obviously i'm going with the slashing of matt the pool guy also (laughs) (laughs) we've said enough about it. I mean, some of the best blood splatter effects I've ever seen. And I like here too, that this is where Alan's faux machismo is at its peak because most of his kills are kind of spur of the moment and sloppy and driven by his insanity. But here it's cold and calculated, you know, and Yeah, the only one that was premeditated and thought out. (laughs) Yeah. And I like that side of Alan, too, where it's like this calculating what he's going to do. It's when he gets into the, like, really manic modes where I'm like, where's this kind of (laughs) going? He even repeats those rehearsed lines in his mind. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I think... uh... The death of Matt the Pool Guy. Easy choice for just about anybody. But so what might be more interesting is favorite scene. 
What do you got? My favorite scene, I think I will go with when Alan shows Brooke the opera operating room. <laughs> cool choice. Great scene. Yeah, it's just, it has this perfect level of tension. It's kind of what the movie has been building up towards, you know. And I just love that set of the opera house, but it's still a dentist's office, you know, by the look of it. It it looks cheap, but it also looks like a lot of care was put into it. And it just has that level of like, where I just appreciate it, you know, and it's so creative. I really do love Alan's office as a set and like what that says about his character, how much he really, truly does love being a dentist. And yeah, we get that gnarly, hard to watch, unnerving teeth pulling. And anything with teeth is always gross and nasty and hard to watch, but teeth pulling especially. Corbin Burnson really sells it too with that second pull when he's making those faces and you just feel it, you know, you feel it in your own mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's mine. But Sean, what about you? Well. I'm about to wax poetically about a movie you didn't care that much for. And this is a first. But I'm going with the scene that features the death of Matt, only expanding on it. So, this revenge scene halfway through the film is definitely my favorite. You get the tense moment with the detectives. And then we get the gruesome daytime reveal of Brooke suffering with her swollen face, her toothless mouth revealing her cut-out tongue. And then it all leads to my favorite kill. But more importantly, this should be Alan Feinstone's glorious revenge. He should get some satisfaction out of this. But the movie still has 30 minutes. And we're going to see that it isn't. It winds up being a bit of a hollow endeavor, and that's what I love about it. It's funny because I don't want to call Alan an anti-hero, because there's definitely nothing heroic about what he does, but we do spend all of our time with him because of the stories being told from his perspective, and I think that's what's great too, and is also revealing of his failure. Because despite getting revenge on Brooke and the pool guy, and killing a handful of innocent people, Alan never outgrows his victimhood. He remains the victim in this story in his own eyes. We even get that hallucination at the end of his wife laughing in his face as the cops close in. And I think the bottom line is, when infidelity leads to insanity and revenge, There are no winners. Unless a sequel gets greenlit. Then we can wipe away that downer ending and figure out a way to expand on this story for better or much, much worse. (laughs) Well, man, I appreciate your love and thoughts on The Dentist. Even if I don't like it, I always love to hear someone that does like it and, and why, so... I enjoy uh, talking about the film with you. And I love talking about it with you. And I think we've talked about it enough. (laughs) So remember, everybody, 
brush three times a day. No candy. Go make that teeth cleaning appointment you've been putting off. And we will see you next time. For our one year anniversary. Hell yeah. Can you believe it? It's been a year. I sure can't. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody.